are looking at, or you are looking at, over the few weeks that you are doing this, uh, this topic of the genius of Jesus. Uh, and if you've got a Bible, it'd be really good to open it. Um, just, or go on your phone these days. Uh, you never quite know what people are doing, though, when they're on their phone, do you? Um, but, uh, if you and if you want to turn to um, Matthew chapter 9, that is where we are today. Uh, this is very small, isn't it? Does this go up a little bit? Yeah, I think it's one of those few occasions where I'm taller than the... Well, maybe that's a bit too far. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Okay, uh, and we are looking at uh, the verses 35 to 38. Uh, and so you can check that I'm not making it up. Uh, it's also on the screen. So, uh, we're going to read this together. Uh, so, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38 says this. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest fields. Uh, and it's these words here that we are going to be thinking a little bit about today. Um, and to help us do that, I thought we'd play a game. Okay, so it's really good. I turned up this morning and said, what I really need is, is a whiteboard. Uh, and lo and behold, the most giant whiteboard ever has appeared. So that's good. Um, so we're going to play a game. Uh, so we are going to be in two teams and it's always in two teams whenever I come here, and I forget that it doesn't really set itself up for two teams, this room. Um, so let's have, a, we'll have kind of this, this half, and then if you guys want to sort of pick a side, basically, uh, you might need to divide families, but that's okay, that's very biblical. So if you want to do that, okay, so shift, there we go. So you can be uh, team one over here, and you can be imaginatively... Team two over there. So, Pictionary, you must have played this game. Uh, so, what's going to happen is one person from team one is going to come out in a moment uh, and I'm going to give them something to draw and I'm going to time how long it takes for you to get it. Okay. Uh, and we're going to write that down because I'll forget. Uh, and then someone from team two and then we'll do that three times each and then we'll add up the times it takes for you to... Work out what it is you're supposed to draw in. Does that make sense? Uh, and if it takes more than, well, probably maybe a minute, then we'll stop you. Because uh, otherwise we'll be here all morning. So, uh, I need a volunteer from Team 1. Look at that, the enthusiasm of youth. Come on then, Naomi. Out you come. Well done. But of course there is another question. Okay, and the question is, uh, what do all of those things have in common? So, let me remind you, we had light, sheep, sun, we had a bride, a servant, and a vineyard. What do all of those things have in common? Description of God? Description of God? Uh, close, I think, close, Parables, they are certainly, some of those things are things Jesus talks about in his parables. Uh, 
Anyone else want to have a guess, George? They are all in the Bible, absolutely. They are all in the Bible, something to do with God, things Jesus talks about in his parables. Uh, Anyone want to take us a little bit further? Down the road? Pardon? All names used for who we are. Okay. So, uh, yeah, very well done. They are all, uh, they are all kind of metaphors or pictures of, uh, that Jesus uses to describe his people. Okay. So Jesus talks about his people, uh, as being sons, as being light, as being sheep, as being, uh, the bride, as being a servant, as being the vineyard. And why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus describe his followers like that? Well, he does it because that is how they have always been described. You see, this is a story that Jesus is, is central to and is part of, but that goes back to the creation of the world. Jesus isn't just kind of making up these pictures. He's using imagery that the people who he was talking to, would understand. Uh, And the reason he does that is because he's speaking into a story. And you know, it's really easy when we come to uh, a passage like the one we've come to today, um, to kind of read it through our, our eyes in, I guess, a pair of glasses almost, that we might put on. That is our 2018 glasses. Uh, and it's really easy to read it as something that is happening today. You know, and we read a thing that says, you know, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, send out your workers into, uh, send out the workers, pray that God would send out the workers. And it's easy just to kind of switch on and think, okay, so that must therefore mean uh, there are lots of people in the world who need to hear about Jesus, so that they can be forgiven, so that they can go to heaven when they die. Therefore, we need to pray that we ask for more people to send into the world to tell more people about it. Uh, and you know, that is, that is all perfectly true. Uh, but what happens if we take those glasses off? What happens if we take those glasses off and try to step into the world of Jesus? What happens when we try and step into and immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus? Well, I think what happens is you start to get a much richer and much deeper understanding of what Jesus is actually trying to communicate through a story like this. So, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so if you were one of the disciples stood when Jesus was saying this, what would you be hearing? Well, the first thing is that you would hear the word harvest, like most of us, I guess. Uh, and for Jewish people at the time, uh, that would have tapped into something for them. You see, for hundreds of years, uh, they will have heard and talked about this idea of the harvest, because it is an idea that was spoken of and kind of came about through the prophets. And the prophets spoke about the day of the harvest. Prophecies uh, like this one in Joel, uh, that 
so the prophet Joel says these words, let the nations be roused, let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest, harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. You see, when Jesus talks of the harvest, he is, he is tapping into their history. He is saying to them, the harvest time is near. That time that the prophets spoke of, this moment, this day of the Lord is near. And for Jewish people at the time, this was a day of judgment. This was a time where God would do what he promised he would do. That once again, just like he did thousands of years before, when his people were being crushed by their enemies in Egypt, that he would come, that he would set his people free, that he would defeat his enemies. And so this talk of harvest for these disciples is them, that what they would be hearing was, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment when God comes and sends his king, his Messiah, the one who will defeat his enemies, our enemies, once and for all. Not like Egypt, where things went wrong again, but a new day is dawning. A day where God's enemies are crushed and God's people are set free. And they had been waiting for this day. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, he is telling them that this moment is here and that there are many within Israel who needed to hear the good news of God's kingdom so that they could repent. And you know, repent is a word that I think has often been, again, kind of narrowed down in its meaning. You hear the word repent generally means Say sorry for something, doesn't it? Uh, you can almost hear, oh, you need to repent over that. But for Jesus, the word repent means so much more. What it actually means is you need to turn around. You need to turn your life around. Don't keep walking in the way that you are walking. You are walking, Jesus is saying, you are walking into destruction. You are walking into further brokenness. Stop right now is the meaning of repent. Stop and turn yourself around because the kingdom is near and the kingdom offers life. A life where you will be set free, Jesus says, from the power of sin and set free to be the people you are called to be, to be God's light in the world, to be God's image in the world, the one through whom God wants to transform his broken world. You know, there is so much more than just forgiveness on offer here. And don't get me wrong, there is forgiveness on offer here. 
Because that is central to what Jesus does. But there is so much more to his kingdom agenda than that. And when you understand the story in the context of the story of Israel, you get this sense that the Messiah's work is so much bigger, so much wider. This is the Lord of the harvest. The Messiah coming to restore all things. If you read through in your leisure, not now, um, the previous two chapters in Matthew's Gospel, you'll get a glimpse of the scope of Jesus' work. He doesn't just come to forgive people. He comes to restore people, to set people free. He comes to see, uh, to, to give people who can't see sight. He comes to give people who are on the margins of society a, a welcome and a home. People who are lonely, uh, he gives them hope and friendship and love. He comes to bring a kingdom that is much bigger and much wider than often maybe we make it. You know, Paul, and I love uh, bits of the message translation of, of the Bible. Paul, in, the message translates uh, Colossians 1, uh, where Paul is writing to a group of Christians uh, like this. And I love these words. It says that all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Jesus calls us to a kingdom where the power of darkness, of sin, is defeated, where brokenness is defeated and nailed to the cross. Uh, in the summer, uh, one of the things we, we do with the young people who we work with at, at Space in Beeson Holbeck is we try and take them all away once, once a year. And we took the kids to Wales uh, and we took them to North Wales and we uh, went to a beautiful beach. It's nice, isn't it, Josephine? Yeah. Uh, and we made a fire uh, on the beach, which I'm fairly sure is legal. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't ask anyone. Uh, but I'm fairly sure it is legal. Um, and we made this fire and we sat around the fire with the kids uh, as the tide started to come in. Uh, it's quite a way off there. Um, and the tide came kind of closer and closer. Uh, and um, that's what the tide does. It kind of goes out and then it comes back in again. Um, but the tide was coming in uh, and it was getting quite late. And so some of us, uh, like me, uh, decided to leave. Uh, however, there was one girl there uh, who decided that before she left, she needed to make sure that the sea didn't put out the fire. And so the tide was coming in, and uh, this young girl started to dig around the fire. Uh, and by all accounts, what happened was it became more and more kind of urgent as the tide came in. I don't know if you've ever done this kind of thing. I do it with my kids every now and again. Uh, this kind of fighting the tide. Uh, and she was digging and becoming kind of more frenzied uh, to the point of then kind of saying to others, you need to come and help me dig. Come and help build this wall. We need to stop this fire going out. And calling to others, come and be part of this. Come and, come and start getting your hands dirty. Get your feet, hands in the sand and dig because we need to stop this fire going out. And you know, it strikes me that that is very similar to what is going on actually 
in this passage. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, come on and join me. Come and join this kingdom. Come and join this movement. The new day is here. Be part of it. I am making everything new. Stop what you're doing. Stop just sitting on the beach. Get your hands dirty. Come and be part of this. Why? Well, do you know what? I saw this, this young girl's mum the day after at school. Uh, and I said to her mum, how, how, uh, how did she find the weekend? And she said, she said it was the best weekend of her life. And this moment in particular where she did this was a moment she will never, ever forget. Because she found life in something. And you know, that is exactly true for the people who follow Jesus. You will get your hands dirty. It may be difficult. It may be challenging. It may even seem impossible. I still have no idea how that fire didn't go out that night. Genuinely. Because the night before, the tide was significantly higher than, than it was this night. I don't understand it. But you know, there is life to be found in following Jesus. And so Jesus says, come and follow me. Go, he says a few verses later. Go proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Go and announce this kingdom. Go and proclaim everywhere that sin in all its forms is defeated. Because in this kingdom, there is good news. There is good news for those who carry guilt. There is good news for those who carry shame. There is good news for those who've been abused. There is good news for those who are anxious. Good news for those who hurt. Good news for those who carry pain from what others have done to them, around with them. There is good news for the poor. There is good news for the sick. There is good news for those whom society, economic and political systems oppress and keep low. Because the Lord of the harvest has dealt with God's enemy once and for all. And it is defeated. And all of those things carry no power anymore. And God wants to set us free from those things. And you know, just like this girl's urgency, her frenzy to kind of pull others in, there is an urgency for Jesus in this. You can kind of sense it in what he is saying. He's saying this, the harvest is plentiful, but their workers are few. Uh, and the, the reality is that, again, this is rooted in Jesus' context. Jesus' context is he's living amongst the people who are heading for ruin and destruction by the way that they are living. And he's saying to them, will you stop? Will you turn around? Will you live differently? Will you embrace this life that I have to offer? And you know, the tragedy is that so many didn't. And it was only about 40 years later that Jerusalem was burnt to the ground by Rome. That there was destruction uh, all around the people of God. But you know, there is urgency today. And you know, so often... 
I think the urgency today is presented in the form of a kind of, I don't know, maybe not as extreme as this, but that sort of turn or burn mentality of, of mission. This idea that we need to tell people because if we don't tell people, then they won't get to heaven when they die. And you know, that kind of thought doesn't seem to feature that much in Jesus' thoughts. Jesus hardly ever talks actually about the future. Hardly ever talks about life beyond death. What he talks about is eternal life, which is a concept, again, that we, 2,000 years later, have muddled and confused to mean life after death. Eternal for Jesus and for his, his listeners was a quality of life, not a quantity of life. It was a quality of life that starts today. That starts today. Jesus always talked about today, not the future. The harvest is plentiful. Not the harvest will be plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. There are many today who need to encounter the good news of Jesus and to be set free from whatever it is that holds them, that binds them, from stops them from knowing the life that God has for them. You know, I talked to a parent on Monday la- last week of one of the young people who comes to space. Uh, and she was telling me, well, I say she comes to space. She came to space, now a little bit older. Um, but she was telling me uh, almost in tears about her daughter who has kind of moved in with this guy uh, who, who physically abuses her and who manipulates her and who controls her. And she said to me, I don't understand why she doesn't just kind of leave him. Why she doesn't just come, come home. And I was talking to another girl who was telling me again about relationships. And we were talking about what makes a good relationship. And she said to me, these are the things I would look for in a relationship. I'd look for someone I can trust. Someone I can, uh, someone who's, who's loyal to me. Someone who's dependent. Uh, I can be dependent on and they can be dependent on me. She was talking about all these kind of things. And I said to her, well, why on earth do you, do you choose the relationships that you choose then? Because they don't look like that. And she said, well, I'm desperate to be loved. And you know, there are people all over this community for whom that is true. People all over this community who are held and bound by the power of sin. Not necessarily just needing to be forgiven for the things they've done, but I've been held by things that have been done to them. I've been held by uh, things that are beyond their control and they need to experience and encounter this gospel, this good news of Jesus that says, I've come to set you free from that. You don't need to carry this round with you anymore because there is a new day, there is a harvest to be had. Come and encounter Jesus. Because Jesus, his heart is to change people. Not just beyond death, but today. That great kind of Christian aid kind of tagline of we believe in life before death. I'm convinced that Jesus would thoroughly agree with that. I believe in life today because Jesus wants us to know him today. And you know this urgency leads Jesus to, to do something he only does twice 
which is tell his disciples how to pray. He says to them, pray to the Lord, uh, the master of the harvest, to send workers. Pray for people to hear and believe and come and be part of this. And you know, this really challenges me. And hearing you talk about kind of prayer really challenges me because I'm rubbish at that. I'm utterly rubbish at it. Um, I, uh, I, I do this stuff with space and, we, and I do quite a lot of stuff with Kids Club. Uh, and over the last few years, um, we have been experiencing this very much. Uh, the workers are few. Uh, we have had kind of space sessions that are almost entirely young, young kind of teenage girls and not had a, a female adult there to be with them. Uh, I've been part of Kids Club where I know that there are many, many children in this community who, who don't get visited every week at home because there aren't people to go out and do that. And I'm sure if I talk to any of you in this room, you would say the same. There are gaps. There are things we are not doing because we don't have the people to do them. And, you know, my response is, is nearly always, I'm going to email some people or uh, I'm going to phone some people. I'm going to send out an email that might kind of guilt some people into feeling bad and, and coming to help. Uh, or, or I'm going to do as much as I can to try and solve this problem. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, pray. Pray for the workers. Pray for the workers. Don't go out and do, but pray. We need to be people who hear that call. People who pray that God would provide. That God would give all that is needed. The abundance that he has for us. But you know, there is also a mystery in prayer and particularly in this prayer and the disciples will have understood that because as they pray to the master of the harvest for workers they immediately realize that they are the answer to that prayer that they are the people who are called to go that what they have seen Jesus doing in the previous couple of chapters in Matthew as he's gone out into those communities they are now being called to do to go and follow, to go and forgive sins, to go and raise the dead, to go and heal the sick, to announce his kingdom. But it is both and, not either or. As we pray, we become the answer to our prayers. And maybe God calls us into action to work with him in the work that he has. Slightly different metaphor, a different picture, just to finish. Uh, a couple of years ago, I came on a, a weekend with some of you guys, uh, uh, probably not all of you, but I shared a story that I think um, encapsulates this a little bit. Uh, the story is one of a musician, uh, a pianist uh, called Paderewski, uh, who I'm sure, like me, you haven't heard of, uh, and Paderewski was giving a concert one evening uh, at a huge kind of venue, a massive hall, a music hall. Uh, and a particular mum had done what lots of mums like to do, which was she dragged her little boy along with her to this concert because he had been kicking up a fuss about having to have piano lessons. Uh, and she thought that if she took him, it might inspire him 
to go and maybe play a bit more. So the little lad sits through the first half of this concert, bored out of his mind, uh, listening to this music that I'm sure is very beautiful to everyone else. But for him, it's just music. Uh, and it gets to the interval, uh, and he's by this point, he's kind of itching to get around. Uh, and his mum, during the interval, turns to talk to him and realises that he's not there. And so she looks kind of panicked around. And to her horror, she sees her son walking up onto the stage. And she sees him walking up to the piano. And she is kind of, you can, well, you can imagine, if you're a parent, you can imagine this moment. Okay, uh, as, <laughs> as I often do, as my kids are running around the front of the church. Run anywhere here, kids? Not over there. But they always choose there because that's where kids want to be. Her son is at the piano. He sits down on the piano stool of this extremely expensive piano and starts to play. And he starts to play chopsticks. And gradually, the kind of musical kind of starts to murmur as people start kind of saying things like, what is going on? Who is this kid who has got up and started playing this guy's piano. What the, you know, what the heck is going on here? And Paderewski hears the commotion. And he wanders to the edge of the stage. Uh, and he sees the boy sat at the piano playing chopsticks. And he walks up to the piano. And he walks up behind the little boy. And he whispers in his ear, keep playing, keep playing. And so the little boy keeps playing chopsticks as Paderewski then starts playing a remarkable harmony around this little boy. And you know, that for me is just a beautiful picture of how this God works, how the Lord of the harvest works. You see, God longs to meet us where we are at. God longs to come and stand with us and change us. He wants to set us free, like that child. He wants us to be children who are free to live life, how we are meant to live. But then he longs to use us. He longs to use our feeble efforts. He longs to use us in our brokenness to bring beauty into the world around us, to bring his kingdom into the world around us. And as we play, God plays and God moves and God changes things and God transforms things. And the challenge for us is, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit on the beach while others make the fire, make the wall that protects the fire? Are we going to sit in the stalls while others play the music? Because, you know, there is life to be found in those things. It will not be easy. It cost Jesus his life. It cost many of his disciples their lives. But, you know, I am sure, I am sure it was worth it that they found a life worth dying for. Where are we going to sit? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you uh, this morning that you bring freedom. That in your kingdom uh, there is freedom. God, we want to thank you that whatever it is, 
uh, even this morning, that holds us, that binds us, that keeps us from knowing the life that you have for us is defeated by your cross, that you have won. And Father, we pray that we would know that life today, that we would know the change and the transformation that you offer for us. But Father, we also pray that we would not sit on the edge, waiting, uh, waiting for heaven. Uh, But we would be people who play, who live to see your kingdom come, your will be done. That we are people who build your kingdom here. Would we be people today, God, who follow you into the world, into the harvest field, and see you move. Amen.